Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, if you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time, we're absolutely delighted to have you with us. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. Sometimes it feels weird uh, to walk into a church for the first time or the first time in a long time. And we just want you to know, oh my gosh, you've come home. But there's something you got to know about a spiritual journey with Jesus. Once you come to believe in him, guess what the first step First step you take on the basis of your belief that Jesus is God who died for your sins and God raised from the dead. Guess what the first step is? It's baptism. In fact, Jesus himself, he'd been on this planet uh, for 33 years. He'd been doing ministry, intense, miraculous ministry for three years, healing the sick, raising the dead, restoring sight to the blind. I mean, feeding uh, the hungry, healing the hurting, teaching this amazing authoritative truth. And then they kill him. It actually is why he came, but they kill him. It was was murderous. It was excruciating. Crucifixion comes from, that word comes from crucifixion. Uh, He died on the cross. But here's the deal. It was in your place. He was your substitute. He climbed up on that cross and died for your sin and mine. And God raised him from the dead. Now, Jesus hangs around. He keeps showing up, showing himself risen from the dead to individuals, to small groups of people, to huge crowds of people. And then finally, he ascends back to heaven to his rightful place at the right hand of God, place above every place, given the name above every name. But before Jesus leaves planet Earth, He says this, last words out of his mouth, he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, which comes first, belief or baptism? Belief. You believe, and you know, this is why we don't do infant baptisms here. I don't say that in criticism of other churches. Probably a ton of you were baptized as babies, and that's cool. I want to honor your legacy. And your baptism as a baby was a tremendous experience spiritually for your mom and dad. But there comes a time when we all are at an age of accountability, and we can't go to heaven based on our mom and dad's faith, but on our own. And so there comes a time when we believe. What do you believe? Here's what you believe. You believe that Jesus is God who died for your sins and God raised from the dead. On the basis of that belief, your next step is baptism. Next step. So that you keep moving forward in your spiritual journey with Jesus. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And now when I want to look at a topic in the Bible, I love to listen to the Apostle Paul because he didn't start out believing in Jesus Maybe uh, like you, he, he started out cynical, suspicious. In fact, he did not like, Je- he hated Jesus. He was glad when they killed Jesus. He did not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. In fact, he went around killing people who said they believed that Jesus was raised from the dead until he has this person-to-person encounter with Christ. 
And I mean, it just knocks him on his rear end. He's struck blind. And for three days, he just lives in darkness. And in that three days of darkness, he reflects on what his life had been. He reflects on now what he believes about Jesus. And then God sends a guy named Ananias to tell Paul the good news. Yeah, baby, Jesus is God who died for your sins and is risen from the dead. And Ananias is like, Lord, that dude tries to kill people. And God says, you go, I'm gonna use him to save the world. And so Ananias goes, goes into the house, sees Paul and like scales fall from Paul's eyes and he can see again. And Ananias says, Paul, Paul, what are you waiting for? Get up, get baptized and have your sins washed away. In that three days of darkness, Paul comes to believe and on the basis of his belief, First thing he does, first action he takes is to be baptized. And then this is what he goes on to write for the church in Rome from the book of Romans. This is what baptism into the life. Now that word is zoe and it means not just regular run of the mill, everyday ordinary life. It means super abundant life with super abundant strength and super abundant joy and super abundant hope and super abundant peace into the life of Jesus. You see, baptism, it's not just getting wet. It's being ushered into the life of Jesus. When we are lowered into the water, you're you're being buried with him. He says it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, Paul says, don't you know that when you're baptized, you are buried with Christ? We're gonna bury your baggage. We're gonna put your past behind you. Your sins will be washed away. You'll be cleansed of all guilt and shame. And the same power God used to raise Jesus from the dead, he'll raise you up out of that water into a whole new Zoe life, super abundant life. In fact, on the day the church is born, I mean, previous to this day, though Jesus taught and healed and worked miracles and was crucified and raised from the dead, there was no church. But on this day, God gives birth to the church. And as he does, uh, one of the good friends of Jesus, Peter, stands up and says to the, the audience of thousands, says, um, hey, see, it's the Bible. <laughs> Peter said, that guy, remember that guy that was here about six weeks ago? Jesus, yeah, what of it? That was God's son and you killed him. No way, way. And then Peter lists these Old Testament proofs that Jesus is God who died for our sins and God raised from the dead. And they said, what do we do? Now what do we do? Peter said, change your life. You're taking your life in the wrong direction. Change your life, turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? So your sins are forgiven. Um, now, Now many of you in this room, you, you've been buried with Christ in that watery grave and you put your past behind you, you buried your baggage, your sins were washed away, you were cleansed of all guilt and shame and when you came up out of that water, you came up as a whole new person in Jesus. How many of you have had that spiritual experience? Yeah, a whole bunch, bunch of you. Now here's the deal. To fully appreciate 
and not just appreciate, but to appropriate the supernatural power of God and the supernatural, a super abundant life of Jesus for your life, there are three God truths you, you must comprehend. In fact, 11 people have been baptized here this weekend already. And maybe, yeah, praise the Lord. And each of those people, Jesus called out their names in heaven. Last night, this morning, and he's anxious to call out your name. And if today is your day, if God has brought you here, maybe it wasn't even on your radar. I had one lady who came to church last night, came back to be baptized today. I had a young woman who drove to a church that she normally attends. There was nothing, no cars in the parking lot, so she came here. And today was her day. And she was baptized today. So that could be you. You get up, you take a shower, you have breakfast. Oatmeal. Never thinking that this is the day, but in this service, in this talk, if you are touched by God, I encourage you to respond to him, his touch on your life. But here are the three God truths you got to comprehend. Number one, there is nothing more important to God than having a real relationship with someone like you, someone like me. That's everything to God. Number two, all of us, you and me, have blatantly broken our relationship with God by our shameful, willful, self-centered sin. That's me, that's you. And number three, God is always on the move, taking the initiative to restore the broken relationship between people like you and I, to restore that broken relationship with himself. Now, this is the epic plan of God. And actually, it was put in motion before there even was a Bible. I mean, God the Father is loving Jesus, God the Son, and Jesus is loving the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is loving the Father, and they're just loving, loving, loving until the love spills out, and they gotta have somebody else to love. And so God creates and breathes life, the breath of life into the nostrils of human beings, Adam and Eve. And not only are their lungs quickened by the breath of of life, but their hearts are about to explode with unspeakable joy and unlimited love. They love each other. They love God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the, the, three, the Godhead three in one love them. But then they violate the goodness of God. They break trust in the relationship. They willfully, shamefully sin out of their own self-centeredness. Now, as soon as they sin, they feel something they've never felt before, shame. And the shame is so ugly and painful and it's just like it clings to them. They don't know how to get free of the shame and it stalks their dreams and haunts them during the day. And, and so to cover their shame, they dressed in fig leaves. And then the shame grows into fear. They are scared to death and they are scared of death. And then the fear grows into withdrawal from God. They hide from God. They run from God. But God is not put off by their sin. God is not put off by my sin or your sin. And so God tracks them down. And guess what he does to get rid of their shame? 
he strips them of the fig leaves and he clothes them in garments of skin. Now, where do you get a garment of skin? From a dead animal. Now, I'm believing that he dressed them in lamb skin. And I'll show you why as I move you through the word of God today. Because here, here's the deal. The story of God opens with an innocent lamb slain. I believe that lambs were slain to clothe Adam and Eve in garments of skin to pay for Adam and Eve's sins, to remove the the shame and restore them to a right relationship with God. That's the opening pages of the Bible. Hundreds of years later, if we can fast forward through the word of God to the second book of the Bible, Now the epic love of God is so big, it's too big for two people. This epic love of God embraces an entire nation of people, the nation of Israel. It's just that the nation of Israel, the entire nation, every person has violated the relation. They have have been traitorous toward God. They have rebelled against God. They have broken their relationship with God by worshiping the 10 little G gods of Egypt. They've left and forsaken worship of the capital G God for a bunch of little G gods. So God raises up a deliverer named Moses. Now, I I have a hard time with Moses because maybe many of you know this story from the Prince of Egypt, an animated film, and, Vo- and Val Kilmer was the voice of Moses, and my wife thinks he's cute, so I won't watch it. <laughs> but no, Moses is the deliverer, and God wields Moses to devastate, to defeat, to utterly destroy nine of the 10 little G-gods of Egypt until now we come up to the biggest, the most vile, the most evil, the mega God of Egypt, death. Moses, death is coming. Death is gonna be everywhere. The angel of death is coming. Here's what you gotta do to save yourself and save your family. Take a lamb, remember? First book of the Bible, a lamb. Now, second book of the Bible, take a lamb. Sacrifice the lamb. Take the blood of the lamb and put it on the door of your home. When the angel of death sees the blood, he will pass over you and you will be free. And that's what happened. All of God's people were free on the basis of the blood of the lamb. In fact, God delivered them out of slavery. They were slaves in Egypt, took them inevitably to the promised land on the basis of the blood of the lamb. Now, it's not just there. From that point forward, there's like a river. Whiskey time. There's like a river of blood that runs. I mean, it's like a blood red thread that runs all through the word of God. And I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of lambs are killed for the sins of God's people. In fact, William Barclay, a commentator said, on one particular Passover, a quarter million lambs were sacrificed. Here's what would happen every year. Let's say the dad of the family would get a lamb, inspect the lamb, go over the lamb, just like I'm calling you to inspect Jesus to find out if he's the real deal. And when he decided that the lamb was perfect and without spot or blemish, he would take the face of the lamb into his hands and he would speak his sins over the head of the lamb. 
And then the sins of his children, the sins of his wife, and for about 45 minutes to an hour, the sins of his mother-in-law. <laughs> Just messing with you. But he would transfer his sins, his family's sins, to an innocent third party, a substitute. And then the lamb bearing the sins of this dad and his family would be sacrificed his blood shed, for there's life in the blood. There's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. The lamb was, sh was slaughtered and sacrificed to pay for the sins of the people. But then now, fast forward another several hundred years in the future, and God breathes on a man named Isaiah. And we know that what Isaiah wrote is true. I've been to Israel six or seven times, and every time we go, we go to the museum of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and not only the museum, but to Qumran, where these Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And did you know there is the entire text of the book of Isaiah uh, preserved in its original language? So we know that what he wrote is true, and he said, hey, there is coming a human lamb once and for all who will die for the sins of everyone. Here's what he wrote. He, who's He. Jesus. Jesus was looked down on and passed over a, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. And we looked down on him. We thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our sins he carried, mine and yours. All the sins, all the things wrong with us. We, we thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. And he took the punishment that we deserved that made us whole. And through his bruises, we get healed. We, we, we've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him, on him, Jesus. He was beaten. He was tortured. But he did not say a word like a lamb. A lamb in Genesis, a lamb in Exodus. And now a human lamb who will take away the sins of the world, like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, he took it all in silence. But it was the Lord's good plan that he should suffer. Because if he died in your place, you would have opportunity to live forever. I don't just mean in heaven. I mean the superabundant life of Jesus. It was, it was God's good plan because he loves you. And has never stopped loving you. And this is the initiative he took to restore his relationship with you. His death was a sacrifice to bring forgiveness. And so we keep fast forwarding our way through uh, the Bible. And now another 700 years and we come to a river that, that runs from northern Israel all the way down to the Dead Sea and about five miles north of the Dead Sea. Is a wild haired, wild eyed guy named John the Baptist. And lining the shore on both sides of the Jordan River are hundreds and hundreds of people coming to hear John teach, but also coming to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. And here's what happened John went from side to side of the Jordan River preaching that people should be baptized. Why? To show that they had said that they that they had repented of their sin and turned to God to be forgiven. 
I'm going to take my life in a different direction. I'm going under, burying my baggage, putting my past behind me, and I'm going to be raised up out of the water, forgiven, and making my way, turning my life toward God. Well, one day it about blows John's mind, but in the crowd on the shoreline of the Jordan River, among the hundreds of sinners there in need of God stands John's cousin, Jesus Christ. And what was even more remarkable to John, Jesus climbs down off the banks of the Jordan and into the murky depths and wades his way toward John. And here's what happens. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, look, the lamb. Say lamb. It's all about the lamb. Maybe you say, well, that story in Genesis was cool, but where's the water? If it's about baptism, it's about what happens to you in the water. It's about the lamb. And then in Exodus, it's about the lamb. Where's the water? It's about what happens to you in the water. It's about the lamb who dies for your sin. And then Isaiah talks about the lamb. And now here, Jesus, he wears the title, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John's like, hey, Jesus, if somebody baptized somebody today, you should baptize me. Here's what Jesus says. But Jesus said, it should be done. My baptism should be done. We must carry out all that God requires. God, you see, baptism should be done. That's what Jesus said of himself. And that God requires a spiritual experience. Now, who would I be if it was required of Jesus? Who would I be to make excuses or to, or to think that I would be an ex- exemption or an exception? And who, who would you be if it was required of Jesus, but you were to assert that it's not required of you? Have you ever wondered When Jesus was under the water in the arms of John the Baptist, what he was doing? Here's what I know. He came up out of the water praying to God. Scripture says this. And he, Jesus, was praying. And as he prayed, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a a dove would descend. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. No one of the girls that was baptized last night, her name is Maggie, she's 16. She came to our church for the first time by herself three weeks ago. And she came to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he died for her sins and rose from the dead. And she came back the next week and brought her mom and her boyfriend. And then she came back last night with her mom, her dad, her boyfriend, her grandma, and her grandpa, and she walked forward to be baptized, not knowing that her boyfriend, Alex, was walking right behind her, and he was baptized as well. But I told both of them. I I told both of them, and each person baptized this weekend, 
what God is whispering over your soul. You are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. You bring me great joy. And there's nothing on God's plate this morning that is more precious nor important to him than to be able to whisper that over your soul as you do what you should do in baptism and what God requires of you, sharing fully in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So I, I can understand why I, my need for baptism, because I'm a vile, dark sinner, and I needed to be forgiven. I need to have my guilt and shame washed away, and I can understand why you need and why it's required of you, because you're a sinner, and the wages of sin is Death. But why Jesus? Jesus knew no sin. Jesus did no sin. Jesus was absolutely perfect. Why did, was it required of him to be baptized? Because if we can figure out the answer to that question, why it was required of Jesus, we will come, we will come to an understanding of why it's required of us. First of all, baptism marks a defining moment in a person's life. Previous to this moment, John can easily have introduced you, hey, this is my cousin, Jesus, he's from Nazareth, he's a carpenter. But now, the defining moment of baptism, John says, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It changed everything from the past to the forward, from old to new. It was a defining moment for Jesus. It's been a defining moment for the 11 people that were baptized this weekend, it will. Oh, let me just show you a video. I want you to catch something. A Saturday night, a month, two, uh, two months ago, my Debbie was in Walmart and heard these women uh, talking above a normal pitch, and one of them was crying, and, and then one said, hey, there's the pastor's wife, let's go talk to her. And so one of the ladies said, in a very broken way, I, I need to be baptized. And... Um, Deb said, you know, this is, this is awesome. She prayed with them right there. I love it when Walmart becomes holy ground. <laughs> but she told the lady, Ruth, about our Ray and made arrangements for Ray and Ruth to get together. Ray shared with Ruth, and a week after Ray had shared with Ruth, um, this is what happened for Ruth. I want you to catch her phrase, that's not who I am anymore. This is a defining moment in her life. Central Christian, I want you guys to give a big hand to my friend Ruth here. Now Ruth, the reason why I asked our church family to clap for you is because Ruth, that's symbolic. Did you know that the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one that comes to repentance? And so the hand clap that you just received from your new church family doesn't even compare to the party that's going on in heaven because of the decision that you're making right now. Somebody say Ruth. I need somebody to say Ruth. Ruthie. As I was thinking about you today, I asked God, what is significant about your name? Do you know what your name means? You're in the Bible. Your name, Ruth, means companion. Your name, Ruth, means friend. Your name, Ruth, 
means vision of beauty. That's who you are. And that's significant for you, Ruth. Because as I've gotten to know your story, I know what the enemy tried to tell you who you are. But you need to know today, Ruth, because of the decision that you're making now, come on, somebody. says about you? It says that if any man be in Christ Jesus, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's why you're not that person. Because you're in Christ now. You are a brand new creation. Brand new. And so I want you to repeat what you already know is true in your heart. Will you say this after me? Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I believe, I believe that you are the Christ. That you are the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. I believe. I believe you died for my sins. You died for my sins. I believe. I believe God raised you from the dead. God raised you from the dead. <laughs> well, my big sister Ruth, on the confession of your faith, it is my privilege and my honor to baptize you now. Thank you, Pastor Ray. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Son. In the name of the Son. And in the name of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It becomes the ultimate defining moment in a person's life. But baptism is also a public expression. You go public with your faith. You know, like some kind of undercover believer, you, your baptism is a public expression that God is number one in your life. I mean, when things are good and you're glad, you're saying God is number one in my life. And when things are hard and hurtful, you're saying God is number one even in the hard times, even in the hurtful times. God, no matter what the circumstance in my life, God is number one in my life, he's first. Everything else second. In fact, we see what, as the blood red thread hits the book of Revelation, we see what it looks like for people who've been obedient and made Jesus number one in their life as they are in heaven. Here's what John found out and wrote. These are the people who've come safely through terrible trouble, hard times, hurtful times. They have been washed. They have washed their robes and made them white with the blood of the lamb. What the heck? How do you wash a garment in blood and make it white? He's referring to as people are buried in the blood of Christ. He cleanses them of all guilt and shame. He, he purifies them. All their imperfections go on Jesus and all his perfection goes on them. And that is why they stand before God's throne and serve him. And baptism is, a, is an open demonstration of humility. Can you imagine Jesus, the, the creator of the universe, with all power at his disposal, who willingly allows himself, trusts his cousin to lay him back, put him under the water, raise him up? But more than that, he wasn't just humbling himself before John. He was humbling himself before his Father in heaven. And on the basis of the humility of Jesus, the heavens part. 
And God shouts over his son's soul, this is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. And that humility of Jesus pointed to his death on the cross, his ultimate humility. His baptism pointed to his death, burial, and resurrection. And those that have been baptized this weekend and and you this morning right now, as you come, your baptism will point to the death as you die to self, as you put your past behind you, as you bury your baggage. It will point to the death, burial. Why was Jesus buried? Because he was fully physically dead. And so there's a way for you to participate in the life and death of Jesus by being buried with him. And then the supernatural power of God that raised Jesus from the dead raises you up out of that water to do life on a whole new level of newness, completely new, the old gone. And so I'm gonna invite you to that spiritual experience. We're all ready for you. Maybe you think, I wasn't thinking about this when I came today. and You know, I don't know if I wanna get my hair wet in front of people. Hey, I will personally fluff and foo-foo your hair for you. <laughs> now we have hair dryers. Um, you, you think, well, I didn't bring a swimming suit or any kind of clothes or shorts or anything. No, we've got baptismal apparel back there, every size, very modest. You think, well, I didn't bring a towel. We got tons of towels. They all say Holiday Inn. (laughs) Our baptistry is homogenized, sterilized, heated. God has made a way for you to be here today to have this experience with his son, Jesus. If you'll stand with me now, I'll pray over you. Our Father, I call down your goodness on this gathered assembly of people. Some have come already believing. That's why they're here. They know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who died for their sins and rose from the dead, and they participated in that death and burial and resurrection through baptism. Others have come, and maybe this wasn't even on their radar, but they know now because your Holy Spirit is moving through this room with loving kindness. You are touching them, Lord. Please take away every fear. Take away pride that would prevent them Shut up the lies of Satan who comes against them to prevent them. And Lord, let your truth ring in their hearts that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that they can be cleansed of all guilt and shame, that their sins can be washed away, that they can share with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. Bring them now, Lord. Put your hand on their heart and draw them to yourself now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.